the Missional Life Podcast, inspiring kingdom-minded believers around the world to live the mission of God in their lives. All right, welcome back to the Missional Life Podcast. Today we have Dr. Eric Wallace on the show. Dr. Eric Wallace is an author, publisher, politician, as well as the founder and president of the Freedom Journal Institute, which advances the kingdom of God through socio-political education and engagement. Dr. Eric Wallace, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. So first of all, for our listeners who are not familiar with your organization, what is Freedom's Journal Institute and what is the mission God has put on your heart for it? Excellent question. Um, Freedom's actually the full title was Freedom Journal Institute for the Study of Faith and Public Policy. And our mission is to advance the kingdom of God through social, political, uh, education, and engagement rooted in a biblical worldview. So there's, you know, three parts of that. It's, you know, advancing the kingdom. How do we do it with social, political, education, and engagement? And then it's rooted in a biblical worldview. Okay. So for for everyone that doesn't understand kind of sociopolitical, can you break that down and kind of define that even a little bit more in, in easier uh, terms? Well, it, it, it all came from, uh, well, I've been in ministry for a while and had gone to, so I'm going to give a little background. So I've been in ministry for a while and had uh, gone to seminary. Uh, I worked on my PhD is in biblical studies. So I finished that degree in 2004 and was trying to figure out, okay, God, what do you want me to do with this? I'd done some adjunct work, um, but really couldn't find a full-time teaching position and was actually questioning whether I wanted to do that anyway as, as my job. Um, and I started po- following politics. And I never really cared that much before, um, or at least hadn't been that involved. And I started watching to see how, um, how uh, well, I, I watched, I sat down and watched the Republican um, uh, what do you call it, convention. Uh, I think, um, I almost said Jimmy Carter. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's funny. Um, it shows you my, my brain. Uh, George Bush was president and he was getting ready to run for a second term. And I was listening to him and listening to him speak about, you know, his faith and stuff. And there was one point he got teary eyed talking, I think, about um, war, um, the war and soldiers and stuff like that. And I looked at him and I said, you know what? I can follow this guy. I think he's sincere about his faith. Now, he may not be as, you know, as deeply rooted Christian as we'd like for him to have been, but I think he was sincere. And so I saw um, shortly after that, and I sat down and almost watched the whole convention and was starting to identify with the Republican Party. Um, Now, I mentioned Jimmy Carter earlier. I had liked Jimmy Carter because he was the first one that I recognized that had actually talked about being born again. And so that perked my ears up. Um, But when I heard Bush I'm like, okay, I could follow this guy. Um, and then I, I, I was taken back a few weeks later when in the Tribune, there was an article about um, Jesse Jackson Sr., who had been down in Tennessee, and they were trying to rally um, Black pastors and ministers for the Democrat Party. And I was like, I don't understand why they can't see in the Republican Party what I see, because if I look at their platform, their platform seemed to be more biblically oriented, not saying that all the, everybody's a Republican is a Christian, 
but that at least their platforms seem more Christ-centered or biblically based than the Democrats. And so I started thinking about how can I make change? Uh, you know, what is God calling me to do? Because I got letters before my name and letters after my name, which give me some entrance into certain places where other people can't go. So we decided we were going to call the church uh, to stand for what it says it believes um, and engage in the political process. So if you say you're pro-life, then we should be voting for people who are pro-life. If we say we're traditional marriage, we should be voting for people who you know, hold traditional values in marriage, right? But that doesn't happen a lot. Uh, people generally vote these days because of their skin color. We figure for some reason the Democrats are going to or excuse me, the progressives are going to care more about black people than, than the conservatives, because we know all conservatives are, are racist, right? So <laughs> at least that's what we've been told. Uh, so the social political engagement is understanding where people stand on certain issues and understanding that some of the, the policies that are passed um, do have, um, uh, do impact, you know, our lives. Uh, on the federal level, on the state level, and even on the, you know, the, the very local level, school boards and things like that, they affect our lives. And so we have to have this social political and, and engagement to know what people are talking about, what they're going to implement. Um, you know, is it possible for a girl to become a boy or can a boy become a girl? Um, are we going to follow the science? Um, you know, what, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on today that you know, it comes across as truth, but it's not really true. It's a lie wrapped up in, uh, in falsehood. And so, you know, it's trying to get the church to understand that we can't sit out on the sidelines. We have to be involved because, and I'll say this and, and then stop and let you all interject. The, the biblical text, if you look at um, the gospel of Luke, and it's, it's actually studying the gospel of Luke that got me into this. When Jesus uh, when the advent of Jesus comes uh, and you look at the first three chapters of the gospel of Luke, Israel's under duress. I used to just look at those because it mentions all the leaders, leadership, you know, Caesar Augustus and Pontius Pilate and all these other figures. And I used to just look at them as historical markers to let us know that, okay, Luke is a historian, but it's not just that. I started looking at leaders and said, wait a minute, he's trying to tell us that Israel is under the, the, the grip of a foreign power and and the king, the real king, the king of kings actually invades the kingdom of men. And that's actually the title of our TV show, Kingdoms in Conflict. And so um, what God is doing is sending his son to call us um, into allegiance <laughs> to the real king, not the Democrat Party or Republican Party for that matter, but it's to the kingdom of God. And I think black Christians and white Christians and Asian, Hispanic, if we look at it that way, we'll be able to come together and actually start voting for people and putting people in office that actually share the values of the kingdom um, and not the values of this world. Does that make any sense? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So good. There's so much in there, you know, and I, I think about this uh, when Paul's writing, he says, you know, like when you became Christian, there's no, there's not male or female, black or white or slave or free. Like we're all Christians. And I think we're coming into an age mm -hmm. where, we have to rally again around the cross, not around ideas, not around concepts, not around anything, but we, we rally around our Christianity on our, and our, and our unity in faith. 
and uh, and that's our that's really our war cry. And I love how you talked about looking at George Bush and you looked at him and you saw that sort of the, you, you said sincerity. And there's something I like to say a lot. It's and I say that transparency breeds transparency. And I think when we're mm-hmm. open with people that it causes other people to be open with us as well. And I think when we people can look, especially nowadays, we you know, at a younger and younger age, they, we have, we have the sincerity test. We can look at somebody and automatically know whether they're speaking the truth or not. It just auto, we just, we just know. Um, yeah. And I don't care if you're a Christian or not Christian, you know. And, and so I think what you, what you said about George Bush and that, that drew you uh, to that, I think th- as leaders, as, uh, as our listeners are, many of them lead different organizations or our leaders themselves, that as we lead with transparency, it causes other people to be transparent with us, but it also brings other people because it attracts people that are really looking for truth nowadays. And truth is becoming harder and harder to find, would you say? Yeah, because everyone's running around talking about my truth, my truth, as if so, somehow truth is, is subjective. Is <laughs> uh, this? There's no objective truth, and with, you know when you look at the Bible, there's clearly objective truth. And actually, one of one of the things um, I do like to talk about is, is Genesis chapter three, when um, uh, you know when when Satan, uh, excuse me, when the serpent uh, ends up talking to to Eve, uh, it's basically you know you can be like God, not just. How do I put this? You can be like God by deciding what is good. Okay, we've heard the first chapter. God does all this work and He declares it good, right? In chapter two, He declares it not good for man to be alone. And God is the determiner of what is and what isn't good. So God is the one who sets up the moral standard. But in chapter three, uh, Satan basically, the serpent basically says, "Well, you know, you can be, you can set up the, the standard yourself." And that's what people are trying to do today. We're trying to say, "Okay, it's okay to be." Uh, to be transsexual. It's all right to be, you know, to be gay, same-sex marriage. It's all right to say that white people are always, are the, um, are the oppressors and that black people are the victims and will always be the victims. And they'll, and so we want to be able to determine what is good on our own terms. And God says, no, that, that's my prerogative. <laughs> I'm the one who created the world. I created you all. So you have to listen to me. And there is objective truth. Um, and you don't get to decide what truth is. Yeah, and tolerance is, it's become yeah. like the, tolerance has become like the false form of compassion, truly. You know, yes. tolerating things. Um, you know, God doesn't tolerate. He He puts up with us so we can have time to turn to him out of his love and compassion for patience, us. Yeah. And patience, he, yes. He shows us mercy. By not, mm-hmm. <laughs> by not, by not judging us when we do stupid stuff, or, mm-hmm. or when we declare, you know, kind of our own independence, and we're not, we're not. Um, yeah, the tolerance is only tolerance as long as you agree with me. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> we're not, we're not, we don't. They don't tolerate Christian uh, dissent. They don't tolerate Christians when we come and bring the Bible with us, and and we talk about Scripture and what God God requires of us. No, they're not interested in that at all. It's the whole. You see the same thing with unity. When they talk about unity, yeah, let's come together. And I and I get so sick of hearing that these days. We need to come together. Well, come together under what? Okay, I do know the Bible does talk about coming together at the end. It says every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. That's the coming together I'm looking for. Uh, now the church needs to come together uh, mm-hmm. under our understanding of what the Bible says and what God requires of us. Um, but 
there's nothing that I see in scripture that says the church is supposed to come together with the world and try and build some kind of coalition between us. That's, that's not going to happen. It's just, it's just not. And I think some, I think some churches have tried to do that. Um, but when they do that, they end up, um, they end up hurting the gospel itself. Um, the gospel, because we know the gospel is going to make some people upset. I mean, it's just how it is. When you say you must be born again, you tell people they're sinners. I'm like, no, I'm not a sinner. Yeah, yeah, you are. The Bible says you are. And uh, you really think about it. Um, I don't think there's a person living um, that hasn't ever told, uh, told a, a lie of, of one sort or another or has, has misrepresented the truth. Let me put it this way, misrepresented the truth. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And yet, you know, the amazing thing is that, you know, it, it, while we're sinners, he pursued us. While, while we were yet sinners, he Amen. pursued us. And, that, and, Amen. That, and that's grace, really. You know, Jesus yes. is grace. You know, he's the personification Absolutely. of grace. And, you know, it, like you are a sinner, but here's the good news. Like the gospel is the almost too good to be true, new, good news, right? And um, Amen. that's what Amen. we preach. And, you know, Christians need to be out there leading with that and uh and and ex exemplifying christ and exemplifying love in the community and sometimes love means telling somebody you know it, it you know how we tell somebody matters because you know if we don't do it with love and we don't we're just a sound we're just a, a sound a clanging symbol right if we don't um so how we do things can really define how it's received right and so so many christians are out there in, in communities not exemplifying love or exemplifying you know um, God in, in, in the right way. And it's not, that message isn't getting through. So, um, but I know this is something that your ministry is really, uh, pretty, you know, pretty deep on. So tell us what does it mean to advance the kingdom of God through sociopolitical education and engagement rooted in a biblical world? Tell us a little bit more, a little bit deeper on that, how your ministry does that. Well, we look, we, we, we tell people that, um, uh, being born again, being a part of the kingdom does have political implications mm. that we just can't go out and vote for people who, um, whose, whose ideology is at cross purposes with God's. Um, as you said, we're supposed to be representatives of the kingdom. And, you know, what does that look like? So when it comes to issues like abortion, um, we need to stand and trying to protect, protect life. Um, you know, I wear my little pen every, everywhere. I go these little feet that represent little babies. So, I'm pro-life, um, pro-traditional family. Like I said, we're, we've been doing exactly the opposite. Uh, and I have to speak toward the, to the black church because we, we speak to the church in general, but the African-American church in particular, um, because it's really been the African-American church that is, uh, and I'm not saying that, well, let me say this. There's no such thing as a white church and a black church, okay? And in the kingdom, all right? But, but we know that sometimes when we gather together on Sunday morning, we gather together maybe in neighborhood churches that may be predominantly black and other churches or areas that may be predominantly white or Hispanic or whatever. And I'm not, and I'm not knocking any of that. Okay. Um, if it's ministering to people, praise God. Um, people who self-segregate for whatever reason, and there are a number of different reasons why people do that. Um, sometimes it's because of music, uh, you know, worship styles, all that kind of stuff. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be because of somebody's race. But anyway, having said that, uh, a lot in the, in the black community have been uh, bamboozled if you will, yeah. to believe that somehow there's, there's one, there's one um, that that's more important than voting, than voting our values. And we try to argue, no, being, being in concert with the Holy spirit and being in concert with what God's word has to say is more important 
than anything else, because my Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, mm. and all these other things will be added unto you. Truly. So it's honoring God, not only in all the other areas of our life, but also in our, our political stances that we take, people we vote for, um, the policies we support, excuse me, things like that. So it's educating people that this is, this is more than about um, your skin color. It's more than, than about um, some other things. There are, there are things that actually, you know, like the pro-life piece, uh, the whole, um, even the gay marriage piece, some people say, well, you know, it doesn't bother me. Why do, why do I care? Well, a lot of times you make something legal. A lot of people think it's okay. Uh, and just because it's legal doesn't mean that it's right in the eyes of God. So um, we have to understand that and always be pushing uh, uh, the kingdom forward. And the other pushback you get sometimes is that, well, you know, we don't want to push our values on, on other people. Well, whose values do you think they're pushing? <laughs> they're pushing somebody's values, right? Yeah. Our laws are based on, on what, we, uh, what we value, right? Our, our moral standards. Uh, you know, the Ten Commandments are based on God's moral standard. Um, and so are we going to look at God's moral standard? Are we going to look at somebody else's moral standard? And, um, you know, right now there's this big to-do in schools now about um, teaching sex ed, comprehensive sex education. And so whose moral values are we going to use? The biblical moral values? Are we going to use secular moral values? Are we going to use the uh, LGBTQ uh, values? Um that's what happened in Virginia. And that's why they ended up um, electing Glenn Youngkin um, because he you know, stood against that kind of stuff. He said, parents should have a right to be able to determine what's gonna be in their schools. And if they don't want that stuff, why are you pushing it down their throats? Um, so that's kind of, hopefully I'm explaining that <laughs> people can understand. Uh, it's understanding that being a Christian, we also have, there's, there's, uh, there, there are political implications to that. And if we're going to follow Christ, um, what that means, because church, we talk about church, the separation of church and state, but it's nowhere in our constitution. It's nowhere in the Bible. Uh, in actuality, if you look really close from the beginning, to, from Genesis to Revelation, there's talk about government, <laughs> that Jesus is Lord, that there is a king and there is a God overall. And, um, you know, eventually he's going to set up that kingdom at the, at the end of the book, we get to go to the back and see what happens at the end. So uh, we shouldn't pretend like it's not important. It is important. Um, it's important now. Oh, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, how does that work out um, if we're not pushing the kingdom and trying to get people saved and getting them to understand how to, what it means to follow Christ and hopefully have our, our laws and policy, public policy actually mirror that. So what would you say is contributing to that sort of apathetic view of, oh, you know, this is separate, you know, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't really care about, you know, what they vote on for this issue. What, what do you think contributes to that sort of apathy mindset? I think a lot of people don't want to have that conversation. Um, and I'm not saying that Christians have to agree on every issue. But there's just some that are just kind of clear, I think, in the text. So, um, and I think some people, some pastors are afraid of losing people. I've known pastor friends of mine uh, who have lost people uh, out of their congregation because they started talking about these issues, you know, um, the pro-life issue, traditional marriage, even school choice. Um, 
fact, friend right now I'm thinking about. Uh, he he lost because he he, lo- he came out and supported a uh, Republican candidate, um, and he lost some members of his church who left. But my thing is, how do we teach people how to practically apply the Word of God if we're not talking about some of the some of the issues that are facing us today, right? Black Black Lives Matter. Um, 1619 project, some of these things about racism, being woke, all these, you know, if we don't ever talk about it from the pulpit or, or in a Bible study, maybe it's not appropriate to do it from the pulpit, but you do it in a Bible study, right? We're walking through the text and we come across something that's, you know, that's now applicable. Um, we have to show our people how to navigate what's happening in the culture. Otherwise, you're just going to be babies walking around. What's that scripture saying? Toss to and fro with various doctrines. Um, that's the only way people grow up and and learn how to um, uh, contend for the kingdom, if you will. So you talked about, you know, maybe it's not appropriate from a, um, from a stage or at a, from a pulpit. But, you know, maybe it is appropriate on, on on a podcast. So, yeah, let's go there a little bit. Like, what does – so, you know, man and I are, you know, we're Caucasian. We're white. You know, you're African-American. You're black. What – you know, there's obviously – More caramel lot, than black. Your car, uh, <laughs> <laughs> our listeners can't see you. Like, yeah, that's, that's a, he is correct. For our listeners that can't see him, he is correct. Um, yeah, <laughs> fair enough. You know, th- this is a, a hot button issue. And yes. that's really, you know, almost minimizing it, honestly. Mm-hmm. What, how do we move forward? What are some different, like, ways that we can, from a Christian perspective, begin to see healing between some of these, between, um, between races, between, the, like, what are some, like, steps for, for us to begin to, st- us, I say, as, you know, as, Caucasian people begin to, to begin reconcile. How, what can we do to, to help people know that they're heard and that they're valued and, and vice versa? What do you see as some of the natural steps to bring unity back to in, in our country? Can you, can you help us with that? Um, no, yes, I can. I can. <laughs> uh, well, first of all, we need to stop. Um, we need to just learn how to love people. Um, where they are. We can't do anything about the past. No matter how many times people will bring it up, this happened here, slavery, and this happened there. I can't change that. You can't change it. Um, it happened. Okay, we have to, you know, move forward. Um, you know, what's going on now? There is, you know, they, the, the, the Black Lives Matter, and I'm trying to remember the other one. I said 1619 Project. Uh, there's a third that I always, you know, throw out there, and I can't, it's not coming to me right now. But we can't um, allow the woke folks to try and hold other people account- accountable for somebody else's sin. We, we just can't do it. Um, and they act as though nothing has changed since the 1950s and 60s. In the 60s, we had a lot of um, legislation, got the um, civil rights, um, voting rights. There was some Housing Act stuff that was done that kind of took care of all that systemic racism. Um, so, uh, in, in one sense, the church just needs to, to continue to move forward, knowing that all our sins were covered in Jesus Christ. Mm. There's, you know, they can talk about white privilege all you want to, but 
you know, there's there's really no such thing. There's privilege. OK. And some people have more privilege than other folks. But, you know, and sometimes God uh, gives people that privilege. God give, gave Israel privilege uh, that Messiah would be born through them and that they would have the scriptures. Um, Abraham had favor. Um, so, you know, what do we say about that when we when we start to talk about, OK, things are unfair. Yeah, they're unfair. They've always been unfair and it depends on where you live. Um, one of the things I've I've learned to do is there's an author out there, Thomas Sowell, where some of my um, Christian folks need. I don't not sure where he stands in, in faith, but he's quite uh, he fights against the whole woke stuff where people try and use like disparities. OK, let's look at disparities. Disparities are the norm. They're not the exception. They're the norm. If you look in your own household, if you have siblings, you know that there are disparities between uh, people's ability, how well people did in school with your, within your, if you grow up with the same two parents and you got disparity there, why, how, how would you expect equality or equity in anything else? Um, you know, I'm the only one in my family, uh, excuse me, of, of my parents' children. My mother had a PhD in psychology. My dad had a master's degree in early childhood development, something like that. He never got a PhD. I think he, he looked at it, but didn't go that far. But I'm the only one of my brothers. I've got two brothers, one older, one younger. Uh, the older one has is, is passed away, but neither one of them went to college. I only went to college, but I went and got a PhD. So my motivation was different than theirs. And so within a household with all the education from my parents, the only one that seemed to uh, be infected by it, <laughs> if I can use that term, is is me. It became, it became important to me. And I all of a sudden decided that, you know what, my brothers aren't going to be able to get PhDs. If we're going to continue this within the family, mm. I'm the only one who's finished college. I then went and got a master's degree and then went and got a PhD. And that was part of my motivation. Um, it wasn't their motivation. My older brother was an electrician. My younger brother was an engineer in a school. So we had different motivations and other people do. Um, but if you want to say that, um, you know, there's racism out there and nothing has changed, that's not true. There are people out there who are lying to you. They've got another alternative. Um, I mean, they've, they've got another um, agenda. Their agenda is different. It's not about bringing reconciliation. And the church has got to wake up to that. They've got to listen to people like Eric Wallace at Freedom Journal Institute uh -huh. and my wife. My wife, Jennifer, and other people, because there are other, I'm not the only one saying this. There are other people out there on the right who are saying, stop listening to these folks tell you that there's this, there's this big chasm between white people and black people. Do you know how many, when you have examples around us, to the contrary, we, we elected a black president twice, and now we've got a black um, uh, uh, vice president. We've got black people elected all over the country. We've got black people, heads of corporations, CEOs. Um, with our own businesses and CEOs of what were been predominantly white businesses in the past. You look at the NFL and the NBA, they're predominantly black. There was a time where there wasn't any black people in the NBA or the NFL. Now they're predominantly black. And if you look at the quarterbacks, uh, majority of the quarterbacks are black now coming out of college and are in, uh, that are leading these teams. And we talk about them, you know, all the time. And, and so, and I remember when the first black person, I was in, I was in college, it was the first, uh, First black quarterback won the um, Super Bowl, Doug Williams. 
I was a uh, Washington Redskins, excuse me, Washington team. <laughs> At the time, the Washington Redskins. Uh, and I posted all over my, uh, all over my uh, dorm when I was, at, I was in seminary, all over. <laughs> because there was somebody at one point who said that black, black people weren't good. They were good at running backs and being wide receivers because they could run and they could jump. I just somebody, some Christian said this to me. And, and, but they weren't good quarterbacks. <laughs> so I posted this all over. Um, even people say dumb stuff like that from time to time, but that's okay. I mean, we've all had questions in our mind and have been guilty of thinking, oh, okay, so, so the people who are, who are um, cooking the Chinese food are all, all Mexican, or the people who are cooking the uh, soul food are all, you know, they're not black or something. You know, we, we look at that and sometimes we'll, we'll, we'll scratch our heads, but then think, you know what? I cook Mexican food at my house. So, uh, you know, people cook, can cook all kinds of different kinds of food, but we have these, sometimes these, these ideas in our, in our head that if it's going to be authentic, and it's got to be somebody Chinese cooking Chinese food or if it's going to be something, you know, there are other examples of that that I can't think of right now, but you get, you get the drift. Absolutely. I'm sorry. I was a little all over the place with that. No, one, but, that, no totally. And that, I, but I just wanted to say there's, there, there are people out there who don't want to see reconciliation. Okay. Um, the enemy is using race to pull the church apart. And, um, we're really we're we're in a process of actually working on a documentary called Racism in America. It was we're still working on the title. It originally was called Racism in America and the Role of the Church. Now we're talking about racism in America exposing the truth conspiracy because we believe that there are those out there who actually are causing racial strife on purpose to destroy our society. And it's coming to, unfortunately it's coming to the church because the church unfortunately from time to time will take hold of secular ideas and allow them to infiltrate into the church. And my thing is stop wholesalely uh, allowing this stuff to come in without being like the Bereans and checking it out. You know what I mean? Check out where this stuff is coming from. Who is, who is talking about it? And if some of the, if the secular world is, is making this a big issue, we ought to take a pause and find out why. Why is this coming down in the secular world why is everybody saying that, you know, we need to give black people reparations and we need to do this for black people and black people can't black people can't get an ID to go vote. So if they're changing the voting standard somewhere, you need an ID to vote. Well, that's going to hurt minorities. Why? Um, and I'm and I'm upset with black people to think for some reason, really, we can't get an ID. How many black people don't have IDs? Really? Um, are we, we don't know when we're being insulted. That's insulting to say something like that. It's insulting to say, I think somewhere in Oregon, I think they just were talking about reducing the, um, um, bringing down the standards so that black people could compete. I'm like, really? You know, back in the day, back in the forties, there was times when black people were doing just as well as white kids, if not better. Um, you know, what's happened to that? What's happened to the idea of calling forth uh, excellence instead of changing the standards, making people live up to the standards. Uh, because they're capable of it. Um, Bush, I think, called that the expectations, low expectations. Um, the bigotry of low expectations. There it is. The bigotry of low expectations. And we need to raise those expectations up again and stop buying into the secular world as they come. And they say, we need, you know, we, we need you all to do something for us. Uh, Frederick Douglass would say no. 
Frederick Douglass said, no, stop helping us. You're hurting us by all the things you're doing for us. Black people can stand on their own two feet. And, um, and we've done it in the past. We're doing it now, except when, when folks, I tell you what, systemic racism does exist, but exists on the left. <laughs> it exists on the left. It doesn't exist on the right because the right expects people to stand on their own. Mm, wow. Interesting point. Yeah. You know, I'm going to go back to something that you said at the beginning and we were, the question, you know, was about how, what can we do? And you, you, so just, you, you said it so well in terms of love. And, you know, I think about Jesus, his law is love. My law is love. And essentially it comes down to how we love our neighbor, how we love other people matter, mm -hmm. how we, you know, it, it doesn't matter, black, white, you know, red, yellow, how we love people matters. And, you know, and I was thinking about how you're saying things are, you know, have been unfair in the past. They, there has been a lot of change, but I think about the Bible, you know, and in a lot of ways, you know, I think about the, the parable what Jesus is talking about and like all these people show up for work and one shows up at nine, one, 10 and 11 and 12 and one shows up at three. But then at the end of the day, they all get paid the same thing, don't they? And, and the one that shows up at nine, he's cranked because the guy that showed up at three got paid the same thing. All right. Right. Like, this is unfair. This is unfair. And so like, and don't take this out of context, but you know, in, in, a, in a sense, God is unfair. He was most unfair to himself when he, when he took a pure and a righteous person like Jesus Christ, not perfectly perfect, died for us and received our condemnation for us. And he took that on the cross with him, you know, so God yep. was really most unfair to himself. Himself. You know, he is just, and I say that, so receive, you know, listeners hear that, you know, through the lens of, of, but he is, he is, he is fair, but he's unfair. He's unfair in the sense that he gives grace to people, you know, gives grace equally. The, the person that just did the smallest minute sin and the person who <clears throat> murdered a hundred people or a thousand people, they all receive grace. And for us, we see that as unfair, but really God is so, um, he's so loving and compassionate and his law is love and really how we go out and heal the world and how we go, go past and we, and we show the world, Christ is how well we love and that, and you said Amen. this so well. Yeah. If we was going to be fair, we'd all be dead. dead. That would be, <laughs> <laughs> that's fairness. We'd all be paying the penalty for our own sin. Yeah. And uh, you know um, you're right. That, that, that's a good point. And I love that parable um, because it shows, I use that parable to show that, that, uh, um, that businesses be able to make, that people should be able to make decisions for what belongs to them. Right. Because he says at the end, you know, what are you upset about? You agreed to this contract, right? This is the contract I made with you. I decided to be um, generous with somebody else. You're, you're upset with my generosity. Uh, you're getting paid. They're getting paid. And don't I have a right to do what I want with my own, with my own money and his own land? And the, and the answer to that was, yeah, he did have a right to do that. So, so that, and it basically tells us, you know, God has a right to do what he wants to do with, with, people he he has enter into heaven so you know whether it's a last minute confession or whether it's somebody who's living for christ for, you know for 50 60 years amen he doesn't give up up until he doesn't give up on us you know and that's yeah, we, right we serve a relentless god who is who is for us not against us who's you know who came to save the world not to condemn you know and, and so and so he, his 
people misunderstand that misunderstand the purpose of God. Really, he's like he it's his patience, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance, you know. And uh he's he's for us as as a world. He wants everyone to be saved that could possibly, you know, that will possibly uh be saved. So, you know, I know, you know, ra racism is is a, a very important topic for you, but I know also that the subject of uh, abortion is and i know that your um your organization is definitely an advocate for that and and you know recently it sounds like on your your show kingdoms in conflict a matter of faith race and public policy uh you had an episode where you featured dr albita king and uh, right. the the roe versus wade film and so can you speak a little bit about that interview and just we actually had the the honor to have her on our show uh recently oh, as excellent. well and uh just an amazing woman um you know mm -hmm. purpose speaking so well but can you tell us you know what Take us back. What does the Bible speak to on the issue of abortion, and and where are we at as a country uh, with Roe v. Wade? What's what's going on? Catch us up. Yeah, I've got to find that scripture. Um, well, we 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 did the interview because we knew um, that this was a topic that is important that the church needs to be involved in when it comes to life. We talk about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Well, you can't pursue happiness or anything else without life. And I, and I finally realized that a couple of years ago, uh, like, you know, why didn't talk about pro-life? And then they talk about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So you can't have liberty and pursuit of happiness if you're dead, right? Truly. And so, you know, none of that applies to the little baby who um, doesn't have a chance to live out um, their God-given purpose. So I uh, looked at Alveda, I've known Alveda for a while, and um, we decided we'd have her on. Uh, I think she was the first person we, had, we did for our second season. Um, and, and also because we had watched, we had also watched, you know, Roe versus Wade. And that was a great movie. Great movie. Um, it it, it um, showed me a lot of stuff that I didn't know. I mean, I was ignorant of a lot of stuff. Um, now, we talk about a lot of different things with Freedom Journal Institute. Um, and let me say this. We have an acronym called the RISE Principles, which stands for Responsible Government, Individual Liberty and Fidelity, Strong Family Values, and Economic uh, Empowerment. So the strong family values, obviously under that, we've got you know, a pro-life um, education because we think, believe the family should have a right to send their kids wherever they want for an education. So that was part of the pro-life piece. And so we wanted to interview her. Now, <clears throat> I don't have the kind of information that Alveda does. There's some people that do this 24 seven, you know, uh, uh, but it is one of our, one of the things that obviously we're, we're concerned about. And so we decided to interview her and talk about it, talk about the, let people know what she was doing as someone who's been an advocate for life for decades and talk about the, uh, Roe, Roe v. Wade, but then also look at it. Cause at the end I do, we call it um, final thoughts. And I took my final thoughts from Proverbs 16 and if you don't mind, I'm going to read part of it for you. Uh, it says, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are abomination to him, haughty eyes, lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. Now it goes on to name the rest of them. But I talked about the hands that shed innocent blood. And I saw this as referring to a lot of other things, people who are innocent, who are not guilty of any kind of crime, and they're, they're being killed. But I said, if that's going to apply to, to, to any any one person or any one thing, it should be applied to those 
babies that are being aborted because they've done nothing to deserve it, right? They're innocent. And it said, God hates that. And if God hates it, we should hate it too, right? Don't you think? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started looking up various scriptures that men- mentioned the innocent being killed. And God is uh, upset with that. He is very upset with that. And like I said, if, if he's upset with it, we should be too, because there's, there's hundreds of thousands of babies being killed. Um, and a lot of them are black babies. Um, not that that matters, because we care about all babies, but um, uh, so we, we want to protect life. We think God wants to protect life. And if the church is going to stand and be the church, again, here's one of those things that you can't, that the Bible speaks to, even though it doesn't speak, it doesn't come out and say you shouldn't abort your child, but it talks about the killing of the innocent, those who shed innocent blood. And I don't know how you get around that. I, I really don't see how you get around that and not applying that to the death of the unborn. And I felt it was important to get that word out, um, not only with what Alveda was talking about and what her movie was about, but also then to bring it back to scripture and say, okay, how do we look at, how should we be looking at this from a biblical point of view? Uh, and if, and if you can apply the shedding of innocent blood to the death of the unborn, which I think you can, um, we need to be standing up against this and we need to be, you know, with the decision that's going on that, that will be coming down what in July, June or July from the Supreme court. We need to be praying for those, um, Supreme Court justices, because if you if you watch Roe v. Wade, um, the original vote was like five four, um, and but then later it became uh, was it um, seven two, um, and the, the vote changed because there were some pressures applied to the um, to the justices, and I think Nixon had just appointed some conservative justices, and you would expect them as conservatives to vote for life. Um, but only two did and seven did not. So um, we need to pray for them because there's all kinds of things that go on behind the scene. People get death threats, um, uh, not only to them, but to their family members. Um, so we need to pray that God send the angels to camp around about them to keep them safe, to keep their families safe, to give them courage, um, you know, to, to make a, a judgment that'll send this back to the states, and um, and then that Christian uh, again it comes back, we're getting back to politics again. Uh, you know how how we um, support life then in the states if this gets kicked back to the states, how we then support life in the states. Um, that means having pro life uh, governors, uh, state senators, state representatives. Um, this is how we fight this thing. And, and, and I would say, the last piece I would say, we need to pray for revival. I think we really need revival in the United States. We are going so far off the cliff, if you will, um, with the progressives, with our leaning, that, and even the way the church, excuse me, is taking in some of this stuff that <clears throat> I'm praying that, that, that there's a revival that takes place across this country from the north, the south, east, and the west, you know, wherever. I don't know where it will start, but I'm praying that God brings about revival, that people, because God wants people to be saved, as you've said. Um, I'm not happy with this big divide 
between Republican and Democrat or between progressives and, and conservatives. But um, Bible kind of told us that things like this were going to happen. Um, but I'd love to see a revival and see babies, babies not be aborted because a person has had a change of heart and they've given their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the best thing that can happen, not just changing the law, but changing somebody's heart is even more important than changing the law. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well said. Yeah. And I just want to go back to what you said too, about mm-hmm. praying for the leadership, praying for the Supreme court. You know, the, the Bible says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And mm-hmm. we just as a believer, remembering that our prayers make a difference, you know, we can't see what happens in the spiritual, but we can trust that God, you know, God works in that and that, you know, our prayers are heard. And that it is so important, again, to pray for our leadership because the pressures that we don't see them going through um, can be ridiculous. So um, also, um, in regards to the issue of abortion, um, you know, just maybe just one or two things, you know, what should the church know about um, Planned Parenthood and its founder? Yeah, because that was discussed pretty intently with the Roe v. Wade movie, correct? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's 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 talk about how she um, she was she was a eugenicist uh, uh, to begin with. She she was involved in the eugenics movement, if you will, it was the idea that somehow some people are better than others genetically. OK, and there were some misfits that needed to be gotten rid of or we don't need them to, to reproduce. Um, and so. Uh, you know, you come up with Planned Parenthood, a way in which to, you know, keep people from from reproducing, whether it's through a pill or whether it's through abortion. And, and Planned Parenthood was born out of, um, I forget what it was called before. Um, there was another name for it. Um, then it became Planned Parenthood. But Planned Parenthood has morphed into more diabolical stuff. Not only is it the abortion mill, in, in the United States, but it's also the place where people can get literature and stuff on the whole transgender piece. Um, talking to folks about getting, um, we call them uh, the blockers, the hormone blockers that keep people from uh, going through pu- puberty and things like that. So it's it's really diabolical. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I don't see how anybody can be a supporter of what Planned Parenthood does. But, you know, she had, there's a quote about how they didn't want um, Blacks to know that they wanted to exterminate them. A lot of Planned Parenthoods, um, uh, their offices and facilities are in uh, underserved neighborhoods. Um, um, some of them are close to uh, high schools and stuff. So when high schoolers get get pregnant, they go over there. And in certain states like Illinois now, um, the teenage girl doesn't have to tell her parents. She can go get an abortion without them even knowing it. And um, I mean, it's, it's, it's just as wicked as you can, as you can imagine, um, that they're actually, um, the death mill actually for, for babies around the country and, and money's going to them. Um, we keep talking about defund the police. We need to defund Planned Parenthood. They're getting federal dollars, um, for, for other things. They're not, there's not supposed to be any money going to abortion, um, so I forget the name of the act. Um, hmm. Do you guys know the act that I'm I'm, I'm trying to remember? Um, and I forget what it is, but there's a there's an act that, that that has been put out there that says no money can go toward 
funding abortion, federal money. But Planned Parenthood still gets money, um, but they get money because they supposedly, you know, help people plan for parenthood. Um, but that's actually a misnomer. They actually help people plan to get rid of their babies. Yeah. And that the whole the process of that and you just how Ro- the movie Roe v. Wade puts that all together is just it's astonishing and how the case is you know like you you alluded to earlier just how it was decided and how there was there were votes change and and even you know some of the backstory that there's definitive conflict of interest in some of the uh within some of the judges and with how some of their families were working right 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 right. so some of these things were just the way that some of this was exposed it just uh it was just very eye-opening very eye-opening for me. So, um, wow. Wow. So I know you, you host a, a TV, TV show, you in a broadcast and, you know, mm-hmm. how can people continue to, you know, follow you and how can they, um, hear about your, your TV show? How can people connect with you and in your show, uh, via social media? Well, they can go to, they can find us online at freedomsjournalinstitute.org and that's freedoms with an S freedomsjournalinstitute.org or they can download a uh, we have an app you put on your phone um you just go to your app store and look up freedoms journal freedoms journal institute uh the icon is basically an fji but you can't find it that way you have to type in freedoms journal institute um you can download it on your uh your android um your Apple phone. And we've got one for those who have the few in number that have an Amazon phone. <laughs> we, we also have a TV app as well um, for Apple TV and for Roku, uh, where you can watch some of the things that we've done um, on video, some of the um, conferences we've done. You can see some of the speakers over the years that we've had. Um, and uh, Kingdoms in Conflict comes on um, NRB TV uh, here in Chicago land and in um, San Francisco is on um, Total Living Network. Uh, we'll be at the um, the National Religious Broadcasters this what in March I believe it is, mm-hmm. trying to get us on some more um, uh, stations. But you can also I mean we're we're on the if you have the app, uh, we come out with a new show every Tuesday, um, and so. And it premieres at like 7.30 Central Time, 7.30 Central Time. So there'll be a new one through probably the second, either first or second week of January. Um, And then you can just find all of them. You know, if you're behind and you want to go back and watch some of the others, um, the first season and second season are all on the website, freedomsjournalinstitute.org. And if you want to leave, can I say this? If you want to leave a little donation at the end of the year, we have a, we have a matching gift for $75,000, $75,000 if people were to give a donation. We're at 501c3. So if people wanted to give a donation, we have a, 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 donate, a donor family of ours who, who decided to give a matching gift of $75,000. So um, please go there, check us out and, and watch, watch it. And if you like what we're doing, you know, you know, leave $25, $50, whatever, whatever you can afford to give for the end of the year. Amen. Absolutely. You know, we want to be, you know, conscious of your time and respectful of your time. We know that you've just been so generous with it. You know, what would, as we, as we kind of close this show out, as we, um, what would you say 
to the listener who is a Christian and who is kind of on the fence and they, they want to start taking action in kind of the political realm. They want to start moving into, you know, being engaged politically and, and, and taking stands on issues like that. What would be some next steps for somebody who's like, yes, this inspired me. I want to go to the next level. I want to start, you know, standing for God and, and, and being a voice for him in this kind of socio political realm. How, what do they do? Well, go to our website and look at some of our stuff. Uh, <laughs> Good. I, I, I would say um, pray, ask God to direct you. Um, you know, that's one of my one of my prayers is, you know, Lord, order my steps according to your word. Um, you know, how do I get involved? Um, try to find those who are involved in political action and see, you know, what they're doing in your in your area. Um there are political organizations, there are Democrats, there are Republicans, there are independents that are out there doing things. Um, I'm not saying that they're, and let, let me make something clear. I, I'm not saying that all Democrats are, are, um, are a bunch of liberals and hate God and all that kind of stuff. There are a lot of, there are a lot of uh, conservative Democrats out there that love the Lord, but are just not conscious of what's going on behind the scenes. Um, but they need to find out. They need to find out where people stand on issues. Um, we have an election, a midterm election coming up. Find out um, who stands for what issue. Check check out the various uh, candidates, and then you could, you know, if you like one of them, you can decide. Do you want to help? You can volunteer um, to make phone calls, to pass out literature. Um, and you can start there, and then find out whether there's an organization around. Um, you know, if you're leaning Republican, you can go check out the Republican organization. Um, I also want to say this about the Republicans. Oh, there are a lot of Republicans are Christians. Not all Christians are Republicans and not all Republicans are Christians. So um, we have a very kind of left-leaning <laughs> Republican party in Illinois, uh, which a lot of us are trying to change. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's praying, asking God what direction you should take, finding out now, because you've got, uh, you know, next year, next November, 2022, there's going to be an election. We'll be electing, U.S. senators, electing governors, we'll be electing um, congressmen and women, we'll be electing state senators and state representatives. Find out who's running, find out what they stand for. And if you find somebody in your area, especially in your district, um, you know, call their offices, find out how to get involved, but you need to know where they stand before you do that. And if, and if they, uh, they reflect your values, um, you know, get behind them, give them some money, give them some time, put out yard signs, make phone calls, you know, whatever you can do to assist. And then that generally will, you know, get you involved. And you'll then be able to see what the party's about. You can see where they stand and how, um, my phone's ringing <laughs> and how, and how, um, uh, uh, you can help get in. And, and, and that, and that's an, that's an open door. Nobody's going to turn you away and say, yeah, I want to volunteer. We're always looking for volunteers, right? People who run for office, always looking for volunteers, always looking for somebody to write a check, even if it's a small check um, for five bucks or ten dollars, because it all starts to add up. You get enough people giving you ten dollars, you know, you could you could easily raise a million dollars. But you know, you have people willing to give some of their time and energy, um, you know, to to a campaign, and and obviously. Uh, not only praying what you should do, but then also praying for the candidate. 
Amen. And it adds up twice as fast when you have matching donations, doesn't it? Absolutely. That's why we're so blessed. That's why we're so blessed to have somebody say, okay, well, we'll match up to $75,000. That's a blessing. That's absolutely a blessing. Well, Dr. Eric Wallace, thank you so much for being on the show today. What an Thank honor. You. Thank you for uh, informing our guests. And, you know, you heard that guest. Uh, go ahead. Uh, make sure you get over to their website. Take a look and uh, and uh, donate before the end of the year. And uh, Dr. Eric, we wish you blessings. We speak blessings over everything you put your hand to. And thank we, you. We thank, thank you for what you're doing for the kingdom of God. Thank you. God bless the both of you.